discover the astounding relevance of ancient biblical wisdom in your modern life. Join us on the latest episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense as we delve into the captivating world of Bible study, unraveling the power of application in today's world. Be prepared to be amazed at the timeless guidance that awaits you. The last two Christianity Still Makes Sense episodes, we've explored how to study the Bible. Our goal has been to take three acrostics from the words observation, interpretation, and application, and unpack those as a three-prong approach to Bible study. If you've heard the first week, you'll recall how Bobby shared that those three words answer three crucial questions when it comes to Bible study. Observation answers the question, what do I see? Interpretation answers the question, what does it mean? And application answers the question, how does it work? Application is the goal of Bible study. As James 1.22 so aptly puts it, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. That's what application is, doing what the word of God says. The late Howard Hendricks, effectively referred to as Prof, whom Bobby studied under at Dallas Theological Seminary, used to say, interpretation without application leads to spiritual abortion. Wow, talk about being hit right between the eyes. Well, if application is the key, then today we are going to turn that key so that we can unlock the secrets of living out God's word. Bobby, we made it to part three, where today we'll unpack our third acrostic with the word application. Kick us off with the first letter. Yes, uh, I'm excited to do this. And before I do, I want to concede at the outset that this acrostic was not developed by me. I did develop the observation and interpretation acrostic that we discovered together on the last two programs. But this one was put together by Rick Warren. And it is a great acrostic. It's incredibly practical. And I remember hearing this from him many years ago. Uh, you know, for those that might not be aware of, Pastor Rick was my first pastor. Uh, when I became a Christian, I got plugged into Saddleback and Celebrate Recovery. And he wrote a book called Dynamic Bible Study Methods that I read. And it was fantastic. It was just so practical. And he's very much of a modern day Solomon, a great sage, uh, no doubt. And so when it comes to doing life application, nobody does it better than Pastor Rick. And so we're going to take his acrostic and then obviously the content, uh, you know, will be our own as you and I are going to do this together. So the A stands for, is there an attitude to adjust? Now, that is important when we're reading the Bible because the Bible speaks to uh, us in a personal way and it's meant to transform our life. And a lot of times there's an attitude to adjust. Take, for example, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. In the ESV, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In the New Living Translation, it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So comparing the ESV with the New Living Translation, you see the word mind with ESV and attitude in the New Living Translation. Now, the New Living Translation is a dynamic equivalent, and so it's going to translate uh, from the Greek and the Hebrew the best idea to capture the word, whereas the ESV is looking to capture the exact word, if it can, the most literal word. So when you think about it, though, uh, what is the New Living Translation doing? It says you must have this same attitude that Christ had. 
but then the ESV talks about having the mind amongst yourselves, which Christ had. Well, it looks like a textual issue uh, between these two, but we've all heard the statement, attitude is mindset. And so that's what the New Living Translation was getting at, showing us how important having the right mindset is. And so I think the mindset that we're after is having a good positive attitude. And we need to check our attitude to make sure it's pleasing to the Lord in the way that we're living our life. Well, the the P asked the question, is there a promise to claim? So unpack that for us, Bobby. Sure. Uh, it's important that we make sure if we claim a promise in the Bible that it contextually fits. For example, not all scripture, not all scripture was written to us, but all scripture was written for us. Hmm. So we can't read the Bible and, you know, come across the passage where Sarah gets pregnant at 90. And if some lady happens to be, you know, 89, uh, she, she can't take that promise that was delivered to Sarah and believe that she's going to get pregnant at right. 90 years of age, right? Or you take Hezekiah, for example, who prayed for a healing. Uh, we can't believe that God is going to answer our prayer exactly the same way. And he's going to extend our life for 15 years like he did for Hezekiah. Or we can't read that Elijah didn't die. He was taken up in a chariot and believe that God's going to pick us up in a chariot and pull us out of here. So there's a right way and a wrong way when it comes to understanding how to apply promises that are written in the scripture to us. There's tons of promises, uh, but when we think about these promises, they can be wrongly used. For example, uh, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in heaven in Philippians 4.19. Well, it says needs, right? And so we have to be careful that we don't turn that verse into he'll supply all of my wants. Or mm -hmm. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so some people believe the promise, oh, he'll give me the desires of our heart. But that's not apart from delighting ourselves in the Lord. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, his desires become our desires, therefore we receive his desires. So that's a couple way of, uh, of looking at some of these verses that can be taken out of context as promises. Uh, but promises that we can count on would be like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that promises a way out of temptation. Or 1 John 1, 9, that tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And we can count on those promises. So when it comes to promises about character formation, well, we can, prompt, we can trust that God will provide those for us. But when it comes to things like, you know, which direction to go or material acquisition, we have to be a little bit more careful that we don't take the direct story of somebody in the Bible and apply it to ourselves. Uh, again, excellent point. I'll remind our audience, we're going to move through these quick. We got we got lots of letters to cover. So if it seems like we're not taking a lot of time, it's because, man, we're, we're moving through this quick. So the next right. P is, is there a priority to change? Expound on that for us. Well, think about uh, Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So the Bible is very much concerned about prioritization. And as Christians, we need to keep God first in all that we do. When other things take the place of God, they become idols in our life. And so we need to make sure that when we're reading the Bible, that we think about our priorities and how we use our time, our, our finances, our talents, and things like that. Okay, now talk to us about the L. And this question is, is there a lesson to learn? 
So when we're finished reading, a, you know, our devotional for the day, it might be that we read a Bible uh, chapter or three chapters of the Bible. Uh, but what we're after is what's the lesson to learn here? And so if you're looking at characters in the Bible, I mean, there's lessons to learn from them. You think about Abraham. His lesson is to walk faithfully or Jonah. Uh, the lesson there is you can run, but you can't hide. Uh, Job, uh, God can be trusted even when life doesn't make sense. Uh, Esther, trusting God no matter the cost. Uh, Daniel, living faithful in the land of the unfaithful. Mary, believing God despite what seems impossible. So when we're looking at these different characters or passages, we're trying to assess what's the lesson to be learned here. And then we take that lesson and we ask God to help incorporate it into our own life. Okay, well, another question to ask when we're trying to apply the Bible is to ask, is there an issue to resolve? Discuss that for us, Bobby. You know, when we did this the other night for our listeners, uh, we just took our church family through Bible study methods. And Tim, you, uh, you know, are one of our pastors and you taught this with me along with Heather Perez, who uh, is, you know, basically our executive assistant to us, takes good care of us, keeps us in order. But she pulled out a statement from Charles Spurgeon and it uh, was really a good point. And she kind of elaborated on this, but Spurgeon once said, victory needs conflict as its preface. And I thought that was a really cool quote because what she did in unpacking this particular point, is there an issue to resolve? Uh, it, she kind of just took time to say, you know, there's conflicts that we have uh, in our life and we need these conflicts. Uh, and what we have to realize is these issues come up and they can be conflicts for us, but we have to face them. And we have to realize that we, that we have to grow through conflict and we have to deal with the issues and we can't just go and sweep it under the rug. We have to confront the things that come our way. And the Bible gives us an opportunity to think about, like, is there a relationship that's out of whack? Is there a heart issue going on? Am I theologically out of touch? So that's what I would say to that. Now, Tim, here's where we're going to reverse roles a little bit, because you did teach this with me. And the other night, you did a great job taking the next three letters. And so I want you to answer the next three questions. So moving on, uh, I want you to think about how you could share with us, because I know our audience would love to hear from you, discuss for us the C, which states, is there a command to obey? Well, yeah, you know, calling back to the interpretation principle that we talked about in our previous episode of metaphor, we see in John 15 that Jesus says, I am the true vine and the father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes and that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then we jump down to verse 10 that kind of wraps this passage up where it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that you and that your joy may be full. So here we have the commandment to follow the commands of Jesus for those who love Jesus. Yeah, very good. And so we see a lot of that. Even Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So yeah. in um, 
the next one, Tim, is there an activity to avoid or stop? Talk about that with us. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Matthew seven here, and Matthew seven, Jesus says, "Judge not that you." be not judged. Now, far too often, we stop there and think that the activity that Jesus is telling us to avoid or stop doing is is this judging. It seems clear that we should avoid judging, right? But let's keep reading. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck from your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what activity should we avoid or stop doing? It's judging hypocritically. This passage gets misquoted and therefore often misused. But Jesus isn't teaching us to be undiscerning or to abandon our critical faculties of judgment altogether. He is calling us to judge rightly. Christians are commanded to judge between right and wrong. How could we follow the commands of Jesus like that we just talked about if we couldn't judge or discern? Or how could we settle a dispute between believers or to choose 1 Timothy 3 leaders or follow Paul's example in 2 Corinthians 6.14 where he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Jesus says that we have to remove the plank from our own eye before dealing with the speck in our brother's eye. But there is a clear implication that we should still deal with the thing in our brother's eye. And it is super important that we go through these steps of observation and interpretation before we get to the application as to stay away from the mistake like avoiding judgments wholesale. Yeah, very good, Tim. That's so helpful to make that distinction because a lot of people too, they think, oh, I can't judge, I can't judge. And it is, it's talking about hypocritical judgment. So spot on. Now the next letter asks, is there a truth to believe? And this is a biggie. Here we come to terms with being theologically shaped. Discuss that for us. So this is a tricky one, as I believe that the whole Bible is true in what it teaches. And we also have uh, these allusions to truth. We have Jesus saying in John 8 that the truth shall set us free. And then again in John 14, 6, where Jesus says that he is the truth. And all this emphasizes the importance of drawing out the applicable truths for us. So let's look at one truth claim that is vitally important, but is often denied by many, and that's the divinity of Jesus. So in Philippians 2, starting from verse 6 through 11, I want to point out that this is just one of several passages where Jesus is being pointed to as the second person of the Godhead. This is just one example from Paul. And as we read this passage, it gives us more details than perhaps Jesus did about the Incarnation. See, I see four clues of this theological truth claim. Clue number one, in verse six, it reads, who though he was in the form of God. For for the Greeks, for the form or the essence or the nature of something made it what it was. It is clear that Jesus shares this form with God. Clue number two in verse seven, it says, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He took on the form of a human. So now we see that there is a God nature or form or essence and a human nature form or essence. 
Clue number three, in verse nine, it says, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name so that the name Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. See, Jesus is highly exalted and he is worshiped as God with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing, Jesus is Christ is Lord. And then clue number four in 11b, it says, to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is Lord, but there is a separate mention of the Father showing us a different personhood between the two. This is just a practical example of kind of drawing out an important theological truth, the divinity of Jesus, out of this text as we implement our observation, our interpretation, and our application methodology. So now, Bobby, we're going to turn it back over to you here. Uh, you know, there's again, I said in the beginning, there's lots of letters, there's lots of stuff going on. Next, we ask the question, is there an idol to tear down? Explain. Yeah, and I appreciate that, Tim, uh, what you just did, because what we're trying to show people is biblically, you kind of, you know, jump in and talk, is there a truth to believe? And well, let's look at a theological truth as it relates to the divinity of Christ and how you go about extracting that. And all we're wanting people to do is realize that the Bible is put in place to help conform us to the image of Christ. Yeah. And idols get in the way of that process. John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory. We don't think of ourselves as idolaters because we're not dancing around little things that we've melted down from our jewelry uh, like they would do in uh, the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, but an idol is anything that we value above God. That can be sex, that can be pleasure, that can be beauty, that can be power. But the key to keeping the commandments, so to speak, is keeping the first one. Exodus 20 verse three says, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, God needs to be first in our life. C.S. Lewis once said, put first things first and second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both first things and second things. Yeah, I mean, I love that quote from C.S. Lewis. But again, we'll, we'll continue on. Uh, the O stands for, uh, is there an offense to forgive? Never easy, but important. Talk to us a little bit about this. So you think about Ephesians chapter four, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So you read that passage, maybe in your devotional or in a Bible study that you're doing, and you reflect on it for a moment. And when you think about how Christ forgave you, that is in the gospel. Well, the gospel becomes a resource. It becomes a guide that shows us how to forgive others in our own life. And so God allows us in life to be hurt so that we can forgive, so that we can become like Jesus. We can't be like Jesus unless we're forgiving and we can't forgive unless we've been hurt. So God allows that process to happen. And we're always looking to make sure that, that we're ready to model the gospel in our relationships to others. Well, before you get to the end, I do want to remind our audience that we would love for you to help support this show. One of the easiest and best ways to support the show is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Christianity still makes sense. If you are checking us out on YouTube, go ahead and hit that like button. That just, uh, you know, it tells YouTube that you enjoy this content. And when we release more videos, it'll come up on your homepage. So we would really value your support in that way. And you can also find this as an audio only podcast on your favorite podcast players. We got two more to go. So we're almost going to wrap this thing up here. We got N and the N is, is there a new direction to take? 
Over to you. So we're reading in our Bible and, uh, you know, maybe there's a, a, somebody out there and they're looking for life direction. And this is what we want in the Bible. You know, there's, there's God's moral will and there's God's missional will. God's moral will is quite a bit easier for us to discern because, you know, we can see God's moral heartbeat on things that we're to love him uh, ultimately, that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, that we're to be forgiving, that we're to be truth tellers. Uh, so we can capture God's moral will. When it comes to his missional will, yes, we understand it in the context of Matthew 28 that we're all, all called to contextualize the gospel. But we often don't know exactly what that looks like, where we're to go, where we're to live, what's the career path that we're to take. And this can be a little bit trickier for us to discern. And so when we're reading our Bible, uh, we can go and find comfort that God is engaged in leading us. In Psalm 32, verse 8, we read, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Or take, for example, Psalm 119, uh, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So uh, that's encouraging. In other words, the, the Bible is like a flashlight. It sheds light on the path that we're walking and we're living in. And then we think about Proverbs, you know, and we think three, five, and six, where we're exhorted, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, so we're, we're thinking about our paths and the direction that we're to take. And how do we really begin to see that crystallize? Well, we can know from the Bible that God is engaged in leading us, but we can also know that by his grace, that if we have other people in our life, that that can help us to become all that God wants us to be. We can listen to Christ speak to us through the body of Christ. We can uh, look for circumstances. We can read the word. We can be prayerful. And all that can provide fruit and new direction in our life. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just reminded of almost every biblical character. I'm trying to think of one that doesn't fit this example. God gave them a new direction. I mean, Abraham, and we think about Paul, or we think about Matthew or Peter, they all, you know, kind of mm -hmm. had these new directions, uh, you know, given to them. So th th uh, that leads us finally to our last one. We did it. We made it. We're, we're here at the last one. Uh, yes. Thanks for everybody that tuned in to all three of these. Uh, we hope that you found value in this. But the last question to ask in this acrostic before uh, we kind of let everybody go is, is there a sin to confess? Talk to us a little bit about this. So in the scriptures, you know, we are over and over uh, warned about sin. I mean, sin is crouching at the door that we learn in Genesis chapter four as it relates to Cain wanting to take the life of Abel. But the Bible does promise us, right? Like that he's willing to forgive us of our sins if we confess them. Uh, we're told in the scriptures, right? Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And confession is important because it allows us to keep a right relationship with the Lord. It keeps us aligned with him. And what is it that we're confessing? Sin, where we fall short of God's ways and we all blow it, we all mess up. And isn't that great that we have a God that wants us to confess so that we're not bogged down with shame and guilt and condemnation, and so that we can have an alignment relationship with him that's fruitful, one that gives us peace. And so the scripture speaks to the importance of addressing our sin and ultimately our sin for those who are listening 
was addressed on the cross when Jesus paid for our sins. The question is, have we believed in him as our Lord and Savior? Because that's really where the gospel begins, when we look at him as our Savior. Uh, well, I, I hope our audience found this, uh, you know, guidance through the whole entire thing, timeless. Um, man, pulling out some of these truths to be able to apply them to our life is excellent. Any final comments that you want to leave our audience with, Bobby? No, just go dig into the word, grab those acrostics. If you haven't listened to the radio show before, write them down and be sure to maybe just put them on flashcards, keep them in your Bible. And this can be a good tool to help you to go about studying the Bible. Excellent advice. And I would remind you that this is a three-part series. So if you missed the observation or interpretation episode, you can find those on YouTube, youtube.com slash Christianity Still Makes Sense. You're looking for episodes 18 and 19, and this is episode 20. And with that, we will meet you on the next episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.